Aloha. Welcome to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but nothing replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. If there's nothing else all of us have learned within the last almost one year, it's that we need to be more resilient than maybe we ever thought we would have to be before. And going along with that includes dealing with a lot of challenges, either in our work relationships, our personal relationships, or in some of the ways that we try and interact with one another. So today I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Bart Pillen. He is a clinical psychologist with decades of experience. He is at Kapiolani Behavioral Health Service, and he's the Division and Chief of Behavioral Health at Hawaii Pacific Health Medical Group. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Pillen. Well, thank you, Dr. Kozak. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Well, one of the things that I I know for a fact, and I am certainly in the mix there, is that the last year has been fairly stressful, and people have had to learn to do things in ways that they never expected. Telemedicine, Zoom conferences, doing things on Microsoft Teams, learning technology, all sorts of challenges. And that's also really caused a lot of additional stress, and for some people, a lot of anxiety. What sort of things are you seeing in your practice that have changed over the last year or so? Oh, there are many, many things. Uh, I think it's a, a common experience where the ongoing stress, not just one you know, week or a month or so, but the lingering stress of dealing with the uncertainty uh, of the pandemic has really weighed heavy on us. A lot of anxiety and depression comes um, with that. But I think um, it really does kind of put pressure on our family system, especially with things like social distancing, where we really struggle to remain connected with extended family and good friends, and puts a lot more emphasis on the importance of relationships and support. Well, and it sounds like the connectedness, you know, they call it social distancing, and you know, I wish it was more physical distancing because I think we need to be socially connected more than ever before just to help one another dealing with, you know, what a lot of folks are telling me is like pandemic fatigue. It's been almost a year. They've they've been trying their best and, you know, the holidays have come and gone and their travel plans have been disrupted. And as they look towards the next year, you know, I think a lot of folks are like, I don't want to deal with another year of this. When is it over? And you're right. That level of uncertainty seems to be fairly unsettling. When you talk with folks about that sense of not being able to know where the future lies, I mean, we've never really been able to do that, but even more so now than ever, what sort of tips and tricks can you give them to sort of accept that uncertainty and just kind of still be able to go about their day? Well, there's there's not a whole lot we can do about the bigger picture issues, but there certainly are things that we can do at home and in our work. You know, you create islands of certainty when you have a healthy routine. You know, you do the physical exercise, you eat well, you take care of yourself, and you take extra uh, measures to be connected with family and friends, uh, even though we have to physically distance. And, you know, you make a good distinction there. Um, But that's done with intention. You know, good relationships and, and healthy living, healthy coping doesn't happen by accident. We really have to capitalize on that. And especially during periods of stressful time, um, the good and the bad comes out, not only in our own habits, like we could, you know, kind of cut corners and not, you know, do so well ourselves, but also in the family or in our in our intimate relationships or even in parenting. Now, it's often said that, you know, healthy relationships 
lead to healthier, happier people. So, you know, we know that some studies have been done that show that those people who do have social support and connection actually tend to live longer. One of the biggest dangers in some of our elderly folks is the concept of loneliness. And yet, at this very same time, a lot of people that are living, elderly living alone, haven't been able to see their family, haven't been able to hug their grandchildren, haven't been able to have that physical connection with them. Are there are there ways that people can engage, particularly with those who may not be as tech savvy, to try and help keep that connection going? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, you know, from the day we are born, we we really thrive on human touch and the sound of our parents' voice, for example. And even though we can't touch one another during the pandemic the same way, the the connectedness that you can have to talking to one another through routine phone calls to check in with the elderly or check in with your family members is really important. Um, uh, they've done these very interesting studies on social support. And by that, what I mean is when you have somebody close to you who offers, you know, emotional support or maybe advice about something or helping hands around that, uh, the house, when, when that happens, we literally will live longer, and it and affects many systems in our body. All these interesting medical studies have shown how, just by virtue of being in a happy marriage, for example, we live on the average of, of two years longer, or that women who have uh, medical issues such as breast cancer or heart problems, when they have good social support, either from friends or family or maybe organizations, that they get through their illnesses so much better. So, so that connectedness, you know, calling somebody out, out uh, come calling somebody for help, or uh, offering uh, an ear—that's um, really good medicine, and you can't really bottle it. You have to provide it for one another. Well, that's a really good point. That you know, for those folks who kind of think that maybe they don't need any help, sometimes by reaching out, they're giving another person an opportunity to get that good feeling of I've had a chance to help this person. And, you know, it's we can't always be on the giving end. We have to be willing and open to be on the receiving end. And in doing so, recognize that we might just be giving somebody else that positive boost that we get when we're trying to help them. You're absolutely right. To, to allow people to offer meaningful help to you or to kind of connect with you on the phone, for example. That's an easy, old-fashioned way to do it. It does not have to be by Zoom. You know, really lets people feel like they're important to you, and um, you benefit as well. Um, so it's a reciprocal relationship. It's a give and take, and um, maybe next time you'll offer support to somebody else, right? Absolutely. I think it's that it's the willingness to be to be the giver and the willingness to be the receiver that I think really helps to solidify that relationship so that people feel it's mutually beneficial. I find that, you know, particularly during the last year or so, it's been even more of a need for people to socially engage, whether it be through social media or through phone calls or through, like you mentioned, even some of the other platforms where you can see somebody you know, Zoom conferences. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I've I've heard from some patients of mine who have said, you know, one of the things they try and do with their family members, particularly around the holidays, is they have a, a Zoom event where everybody can be on a screen and, you know, you get to see people that 
ironically, in years gone by, might not have been able to physically be there because of geographic limitations. And now they can all get together and be on a screen together and actually experience more people getting together virtually than they might have been able to do in person. So trying to be open to some of those technological advances and having at least one or two I always say, you know, the 10-year-olds that are better at tech than me, which is all of them. So, you know, having somebody who knows how to tell me how to turn this stuff on would be great. And that's really allowed some folks even to participate in family events. You know, it used to be that if you weren't there, maybe you called and the phone got passed around, but you weren't there. And now... There's unique ways that people can really figure out how to virtually be there and sort of support one another, even have the virtual, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you know, you can see them eating their turkey and boy, you wish you were there, you know, but unfortunately you're not. So I think there may be some ways for us to sort of focus on that resilience and try our best to try and help one another to figure out how to continue to, to get through these times with as much social closeness as we can. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Bart Pillen, and we're going to talk a little bit about, boy, those close personal relationships when everybody's, you know, quarantining at home together. How's that gone for everybody? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Health, Ulupono Initiative, and The Hub Coworking Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Bart Pillen on the line. He's a clinical psychologist. He's the Division Chief of Behavioral Health at Hawaii Pacific Health Medical Group. And right before the break, we were talking about some of the ways that we all need to learn how to be resilient. But, you know, Dr. Pillen, I find one of the most difficult aspects of that is with people staying home more. You know, they're around their loved ones more, and sometimes closeness is good, and sometimes you kind of get on one another's nerves a little bit more. What have you seen in terms, the, yeah, in terms of some of the people's personal relationships or everybody in the same household? How's that been going? Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Stressful situations magnify the good and the bad. And this has been a long-term stressful situation where we're in close quarters. So it's really easy to get irritated with one another, have reactions, you know, you know fall into arguments. Um, you know, but... But uh, remember a few years ago when there was a blackout in Honolulu and, and families couldn't get on their phone or the TV? And afterward, I heard countless stories about how people would go on a walk together or play a game together and kind of renew ties. And I think that's a situation now where, you know, people, when they're in close quarters, instead of just turning on the TV, if they intentionally do something with their partners, their, their spouse, their kids, you can really create opportunities for enhancing your life. Um, and, and it's really, really important that we do it with intention. The, the arguments tend to pop up without a lot of planning. I mean, whoever really wants that to happen or plans it, right? Um, but the good stuff usually happens with a little bit of intention, some planning, and a kind of a, a sense of I can bring something really good to the, to the, to the table and everybody will enjoy it. You know, we gave this mental health seminar a few weeks ago, and you said something about arguments that has stuck with me the entire time. And it was not what I expected. You said the winner of an argument is the first person who stops it. 
Tell us more yes, about that, exactly because right. I have a feeling I'm going to go home this evening and hear a little bit about that from people <laughs> in my house. But it just struck me as how profound that is, because so often we find ourselves in these close quarters. And, you know, you might now it's like you're here all the time. Right. So used to be that we could go out and do something else with other people. Now it's just the two of you or the three yeah. or four of you in a family. And, you know, those little tiny quirks become big quirks. So, so think of it this way. When was the last time, you know, you blundered into some sort of argument with a family member, your spouse, a child even, and within the first couple of minutes, you probably knew, uh-oh, this is not going so well, right? And yet, because we kind of get entrenched and we want to make our points and we feel like we're not being heard or, you know, that no one's honoring our opinion or what we're saying, we tend to go on way longer, and we know it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So, um, And people do this, right? So what I mean by the winner of the argument is the one who stops it is that you want to be able to say, hey, time out. We all would agree that if we go further, this is going to be hard on us, right? And probably it would be harder to recover. So you take a step back. You don't storm out of the room or those sorts of things, but you take a time to cool off. And actually, the folks in the marital studies know that it takes at least 15 to 20 minutes to physically calm down after an argument. So you take a time out, but you promise, I'm going to come back a better person. I'm going to come back calmer. We're going to, re- we're going to try this again. Or we're going to like talk about something that would be more successful. So there's this ability to kind of reconnect with the people you love and hit the restart button, so to speak, and then move forward from there. Uh, and then problem solve if you need to. But yeah, you need to, somebody needs to be smart enough to stop the argument. <laughs> it's funny because as you say that, I think to myself, huh, on Sundays, we try and do this group call, my brothers and my dad, and we are of all different political views. And over the last couple of months, as soon as politics came up, there would be loud arguments and people would get all upset. And I'd be like, I'm going to hang up on all of you. So, uh, So you're right. I think finding a creative way to take a time out and say, okay, let's change the topic. Remember that summer when we all did X, Y, or Z, or, you know, remember something else that we can sort of divert the conversation from being so antagonistic to being something that really is the purpose of the call, which is to spend time with my dad and my and my family members in such a way that we're all enjoying ourselves and not necessarily trying to yell and scream and prove one another's point. So I do, yeah, I do right. see the value in that. There are four things, actually, you know, the, the, the marital research, the folks from the Gottman Institute at the University of Washington have found to be really, really detrimental that once they start, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, it can get worse. Um, and they're, um, the four elements that are they call the, affectionately called the four horsemen of the apocalypse is criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, where you might, you might have a critical reaction and then somebody gets defensive or just refuses to talk to you stonewalling or thinks poorly of you and rolls their eyes and takes a big sigh so that's the stuff that if you're talking about you know you know finances or your love life or what pizza you're going to order if if that stuff begins to you know worm its way into the interaction somebody has to be smart enough to say hey time out let's not go down this path uh, and you can change it because these are behaviors. We're not born doing these things. Um, so it's knowing that 
we all are vulnerable to that, but can do something when it pops up unexpectedly to kind of turn it around. So those are really important factors that they have found to avoid. Have you had any folks who you've seen and taken care of in the last year that have found some creative ways to sort of diffuse that situation? You know, you talk about breaking away from the argument, but not the person. What are some things that you've seen in in your practice that has really helped people to overcome this sense of, and and I'm a guilty one here. I want to prove my point. I know I'm right. I'm going to keep going until everyone else agrees that I'm right. So, you know, when we think about those sorts of personalities and the quirks that I know I have, you know, what are some of the successful ways? What have you seen in, in your experience so far? Well, let me give you an example of a technique I use uh, for people who have just had an argument, which is many times if I'm working with a couple, they'll come into my office or we're doing it via telehealth now. And I'll say, okay, um, hold each other's hands as affectionately as you can and look into each other's eyes and then try to have that argument you had last night for two hours. And they will kind of chuckle and they'll kind of hesitate and, and they won't be able to have the argument, but they will be able to have a discussion, um, you know, and they'll be able to talk at a different pace because affection, you know, has this effect on our mood, but also the way our brain operates. Literally, it does. You know, when somebody who you love holds your hand, you're less likely to feel physical pain and emotional pain. So it, it dampens down and buffers the distress, the upset and the anger, and allows you to kind of retool it. And affection is actually one element of several different elements that they have found to be helpful for really having a lasting and satisfying relationship. Um, I can tell you a little bit more about that if you wish. Well, absolutely. But you mentioned something that piques my interest. And you said you're doing a lot of your practice on telehealth. When, when you were previously probably seeing folks in person, what have you seen has changed in the therapeutic relationship between you and your patients using this different modality? Well, it's very interesting in one way, just pragmatically speaking, it's, it's very convenient um, because people whom I work with have medical issues commonly, and so getting out and about would either be risky because of the virus or um, they might be post-surgery or post-delivery or uh, going through cancer treatment. And so, so it's made it way more convenient and accessible so I can have people dial on and, and then we can talk about it. And I, I must say that Something about talking to people in their own homes or sometimes even their workplaces allows them to feel more comfortable. They're not on the spot. So, you know, in a, in a strange way, it makes my relationship with them a little bit more open, even though we might be talking about their family or how they're doing. Um, so we know in my business that, you know, research is important, of course, and uh, good interventions is important. But um, a caring relationship, I think, is something that we all share. And... Um, and it's been able, we've been able to do that, um, even through telehealth. Just like uh, listeners might call their auntie from on another island or on, on the continent and connect and, and talk affectionately and offer support. So uh, it has its place. It's been okay. 
All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, I'm going to continue my discussion with Dr. Bart Pillen, and we're going to talk a little bit about Valentine's Day coming up. What are some unique creative ways that you could celebrate and that you could find ways to really reinforce that relationship that you have with your loved ones and find ways to make sure that everybody feels as socially connected as they possibly can during the time of coronavirus. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Bart Pillen on the line. He's a clinical psychologist with decades of experience. I'm aging you, Dr. Pillen. He's at (laughs) Kapiani's Behavioral Health Service, Division Chief of the Behavioral Health at Hawaii Pacific Health Medical Group. So right before the break, we were talking about telemedicine. And, you know, I find it fascinating. It's almost like the 21st century version of the home visit, you know, where the doctor used to go to somebody's home. Now on some of these video visits, you actually get invited to someone's home. And it's it's quite a unique environment. I find it fascinating. And I really, I enjoy it. Although I have to say there have been some interesting experiences. I had a call with someone today who was driving in their car and I thought, well, (laughs) this is a new way to make medicine convenient, but uh, be careful and definitely don't be, you know, don't get in an accident while you're driving and talking to your doctor. But I think that it's, it's been an interesting change. And, you know, I've heard people say that people who might have previously been a little bit intimidated to go see a psychologist or a mental health professional because they would have to go to an office and they might see somebody, they actually feel more comfortable now that they can do this from the privacy of their own home or from their workplace or somewhere that is most comfortable to them. Absolutely. And I really feel honored when people trust me enough, not only to give good advice, to be a, but be, to, to be a part of their life. And when they share um, these details, it really is helpful uh, for me to be able to know their experience and help out that way. Well, now we know that a big holiday is coming, uh, yep. Valentine's Day, and there's a couple of interesting tips that you've shared with us before. And, you know, I'm curious about some of the ways that people could celebrate, and even if they're not in the same geographic location as their loved ones, how could they honor that relationship and find ways to still make everyone feel special? So that's a great question. I can kind of highlight a few things that we know really contribute to a long-term happy relationship. Uh, but that doesn't happen by accident, right? We need to be you know, doing these things on an ongoing basis. And even though Valentine's Day, for example, grabs our attention and we want to be affectionate, show appreciation to the people we love, um, it's really kind of um, you know, a calling for us to be mindful and try to do those things on a daily basis. So um, there are a number of things that, um, again, I'm just going to use marriage as, a, as an example. Um, the, the research, uh, especially coming from folks like the Gottman Institute, can predict with about 90 to 94 percent accuracy who stays together in a happy relationship. And, and it's not that they don't have stress, and we've all experienced stress in the last uh, year, without a doubt. But the people who spend about five hours of kind of remaining connected in person, of course, or over the lines, um, they tend to do better. And there are certain things that, that couples do or families do to enhance this. 
five minutes a day of affection, you know, ex- expressing, oh, honey, I really miss you, or I'm, I'm, I love you, those sorts of things, right? Uh, you don't have to be in, pre- in person, but it sure helps if you're there to deliver it face-to-face. Uh, five minutes a day of appreciation, even about little things. Um, five minutes a day of saying to somebody, I really admire you. And some sort of daily ritual to reduce tension, uh, whether we, when you say goodbye or when you get back together to bring down the tension as a couple or as a family. And then the last thing that people do is they spend about two hours somewhere in the week um, uh, just talking about their dreams and how their day went and what they want to see happen maybe after the pandemic is done and, and remaining connected about the meaningful things uh, the things that are really important in the milestones of their life. They call this the five magic hours because even though it seems like pretty common things, um, people frequently, especially under stress, overlook these things. And they let, there's this drift that occurs, and people then begin to neglect these kind, these kind of very, very positive factors that enhance well-being and, and relationship connectedness. So that's called the five magic hours, uh, and it's uh, worth doing um, on a daily basis. Um, you may want to pay particular attention during um, Valentine's Day, but um, you don't want to do this just one day uh, a year, yeah? Well, and I find it interesting. You said with a 90 to 94% predictability, who stays together? And it's it's really, like you said, it's more putting intention into it. It's really mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to take the extra time and effort because I want this relationship to be successful. It's certainly not, you know, it may be serendipity that it is, but more often than not, there's a little bit of work that has to go into that. It doesn't come as easy just as, you know, it might in the movies, which people would love to go see. And sometimes that's not so safe to go to the theater. So, you know, I think some of those very activities that we used to in see on the screen and see other people do and enjoy, we now have to find different ways to to communicate and different ways to do that with our loved ones, but also even in some of the activities that you used to do together. You mentioned earlier when we had no electricity, people went for walks. I have to say, I have never seen more people walking around outside and exercising outside because a lot of the gyms are closed. You know, it's sort of provided this forced opportunity to be outdoors. And I have to say, it's wonderful to get fresh air and to just spend time with your loved ones, just being outside. I think there's something so healing to being in nature that maybe we forgot because we had all these other potential diversions for our attention. So that's right. I'm curious when you look back on the last year and you think about the upcoming year, what are some of the things that we should all consider taking with us as we go forward, lessons that we might have learned or things that we could do that would help us to remember some of the things that the pandemic made us do differently, but continue those on our journey as hopefully, you know, COVID becomes something that's in our past and not forever in our future. Well, let me kind of frame this in terms of uh, something that a lot of people don't expect. You know, uh, when people go through traumatic events, especially chronic ones, and where people have been touched by illness and loss, you know, we've all heard of PTSD, where we can have anxiety and lasting trauma uh, reactions. But for some people who go through difficult times, whether it's medical or social or financial, um, there's something that they've researched that they call post-traumatic growth. And... um, 
this is more than just a silver lining to the cloud. These are factors, resiliency factors, that when people get through the hardship, and they are real hardships, right, um, that they have a greater appreciation for their lives or their relationships or their spiritual life. Um, they are they kind of cut out the things that are manini and not so important or necessary, and they really focus a little bit deeper on what is of value and purpose to them. So we know that those personal factors can be cultivated, and that's done with intention. So if, if you decided, well, I'm going to surprise my kids or my spouse with something really loving today, you know, you're bringing something good to the table that nobody else can provide, right? You know, uh, the emotional table, the family table, the connectedness. And that enhancement gives us all hope. And the pandemic will eventually go away, but we want to have these positive factors endure way longer. Well, that sounds like a plan, post-traumatic growth. We are going to have to do this again, Dr. Pelin. I feel like every time I speak to you, I learn an enormous amount. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.